This is Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast, episode number 48. In this episode, we discuss how leveraging polarities is a core competency for healthcare leaders if they want to combat burnout, and how applying a polarity mindset can support well-being and resilience in leaders and clinicians. Keep listening. Hi, healthcare leaders. I'm Tracy Christofferson. And I'm Michelle Trosett. We're your hosts for Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, and we are so grateful you joined us today. You're about to see healthcare problems and challenges through a brand new lens and take your leadership to a whole new level with this podcast. We've coached healthcare leaders from across North America for over 30 years as they strive to establish healthy healing organizations and thriving work cultures. This is the only podcast that shows healthcare leaders how to apply polarity thinking the missing logic in healthcare to their reoccurring challenges so they can stop wasting time, money, and resources on fixes that fail. If you want to create a healthy healing organization where staff and leaders thrive and perform at their highest level, where values are aligned, outcomes are sustainable, and the highest quality of care is delivered, then this podcast is for you. Keep listening. Each week, you're going to learn how to leverage a polarity mindset and manage competing priorities as we use a polarity lens to explore everyday challenges with the leaders who are striving to manage them. We're thrilled you're here. Hello, this is Michelle. And Tracy. Welcome back, everyone. Yeah, great to be here, right? Yeah, everybody? Absolutely. And we're really excited about today's podcast because it is about a new national report and it's a new landmark report and we want to share it with you. Oh yeah, this is very exciting, right? Yes, yes. So at the very end of 2019, the National Academy of Medicine released a new report called Taking Action Against Clinician Burnout, a Systems Approach to Professional Well-Being. So Tracy and I like these reports, right Tracy? Oh, They're incredible. I mean, really, it shines a light on the realities in healthcare, and people need to know what's happening, right? And Mm -hmm. it's evidence-based. So, you know, these guys really do their homework. Yeah, they do. They put a lot of effort into this, and uh, I think they give voice to the Mm -hmm. reality. And and then it gives you, you know, um, a way to work with that reality, right? Gives you some guidance, some suggestions. Um, yeah. And uh, so it, it's very, very important. Yeah. And I think it gets alignment across the nation and what we need to focus on. So, you know, this report comes out 20 years after To Air is Human, Building a Safer Health System, and the 2001 report, Crossing the Quality Chasm, A New Health System for the 21st Century. Now, that report really s- stays with me, Tracy. You want to know why? Why? Because in March of 2001, I had made the decision to leave my role in a healthcare system and uh, join our mentor, Bonnie Wasorek, in the field looking at how to improve point-of-care transformation. And during that little space of time in March, leaving one job and joining the other one, my husband and I were out for breakfast and we walked out of a restaurant. And you know how they have those newspaper machines Mm-hmm. Along oh, yeah. the side. Yeah, where you put your money in them. Yeah, they don't have those anymore. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Who reads a newspaper? <laughs> Everything's on your phone. <laughs> but anyway, I looked over and I caught out of the corner of my eye a USA Today 
that said the U.S. healthcare system is broken. And I just literally stopped in my tracks, turned to my husband and said, give me 50 cents. <laughs> and I remember like it was yesterday yeah. and I got in the car and I read about this new report and I just said, this is really the work that is at hand that we have to focus on. And um, out of that report came the six domains mm-hmm. uh, that the you know healthcare is safe, effective, patient-centered, timely, efficient, and equitable. And a lot of the work that we focused on was really related to that. But there was such a great alignment of the transformation that needed to happen at the point of care. Oh yeah, yeah. Those were those were really that was the beginning of healthcare transformation and the realization of system change, right? Both of those, the safety of patients and just the whole quality movement and all of that, right? That was the very beginning. It really was. It really was. It There was a lot of energy. A lot of different groups were focusing on it. Then, of course, in 2008, the IHI came out with the triple aim. Mm-hmm. So that was another like cornerstone where, you, you know, you know, working in the field with a lot of leaders and a lot of organizations, there was a lot of focus on that to decrease cost, enhance patient experience, and improve population health. You know what I remember? What I remember is reading these reports and thinking, hey, we've been doing this. Yeah. Like, right? Because yeah. we had the the great fortune of working with a visionary, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody who was always well ahead of her time. And we had been doing everything in that report aligned with the work that we were doing around creating healthy healing work cultures and quality care and all that in the organizations we were in. So that was really cool. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. Uh, So this is a new landmark report. So Tracy and I, we got our copies right here on our podcast studio table. (laughs) And um, and again, it's just a lot of evidence-based information helping us look at that, you know, where the needle needs to go, what we need to be paying attention to. And uh, we know that for clinicians who provide direct care, they really carry a large portion of the burden of all of these changes. And um, it's really become clear that, you know, all these changes and all the focus have in the end really have had a negative impact on the clinical workforce. Yeah. Well, you know, it all comes down to the people at the point of care. Yep. One more thing for them to do, one more thing for them to document, right? That's just how it is. Yep, it is. So the high rates of burnout that are happening right now are just an indicator that the healthcare system is failing to achieve the aims for the system-wide improvement that we've been hoping for through all of these other efforts. While there might be pockets of improvement that we talk about frequently in the show, it's like we still haven't looked at it in a really holistic way so that nothing fails. It's sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's like there's a thousand decisions made, right? Like everybody's making decisions inside organizations, externally, you know, the government's making decisions, the the payers are making decisions, like everybody and all of that, right, collectively has just begun to erode the well-being of the clinician who carries that burden. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It's not just about the current workforce, Michelle. It's it really, I think the other thing the report um, draws forth is this is about learners as well. And what we know is that, you know, in addressing this, this is going to fall to the leaders. Mm -hmm. So this is also going to have an impact on leaders. And I'm sure while that's not what's being reported right now, that's something we have to, we definitely have to keep our eye on, right? We have to address, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing I think that's really um, important in this report is there, 
that the authors acknowledge there is really no one single issue that is causing burnout or the decline of clinician well-being. It really is a multitude of things. And that there isn't going mm-hmm. to be one answer, one shiny bullet, one, you know, wouldn't one be, saving grace. Wouldn't that be easy if it was? <laughs> oh my gosh, right? But then what would we have to work on? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then the other thing I think too is just at the costs, mm-hmm. right? The costs are significant that are experienced by individuals, the organization, and society mm-hmm. at large, right? Because it's a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's really, really important. And all of it's just been exacerbated by the push for system performance improvements, mm-hmm. right? Continue to, you know, improve the performance of the system. But all those little decisions, right, have exacerbated into this challenge that we're now facing with the decline in well-being. Right. So in the report, they have a new model, a systems model of clinician burnout and professional well-being. And so that's where they're really focusing their attention. And it's supported by many theories and principles, such as human factors, systems engineering, job and organizational design, occupational safety and health. And uh, what we notice and what we argue is that polarity thinking is a missing logic that's in their framework, but it's not transparent. What we notice when we look at it is there's a lot of interdependent values or pairs, but it's not transparent. And we think, man, if we could make those transparent, it would really help so much. Oh, yeah. Well, we know those are going to have to be managed, right? And it's great that they're there, and it's just broadening the awareness of how to leverage those, right, and to call them what they are. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in the model, too, it focuses really on the system aspects of clinician burnout. And, you know, we would expect that because that's what the National Academies of Medicine and what used to be the Institute of Medicine, that's their charge, right, is the healthcare system and system changes. So we would expect that to be a pretty prominent factor in this. Um, But they also acknowledge that there's individual factors. um, And they identify those as personality, coping strategies, resilience, and social support. That's kind of the categories of those personal individual factors. Um, And in the model, they identify that it's those factors that actually kind of mediate the effects of the work system factors. So they're connected, but there's a heavy emphasis on let's address the system. And a part of that really comes from, you know, their perspective that the individual factors are kind of intrinsic and they might not be modifiable. Mm-hmm. where they know the system factors can be modified, right? And then there's, of course, that sensitivity of mm-hmm. this isn't the fault of the clinician. Right. And they don't want blame, right? Mm-hmm. So they're trying to be sensitive to that, I think, and you know, call it out. But yet what we know in polarities is they're, they're equally important. important. And so they need simultaneous attention, and they need to be seen as equally important important. So there has to be another way, right, to address the individual factors. They have to be addressed. Absolutely. Or we mm-hmm. won't have sustainable success with mm-hmm. with these efforts to improve patient care and address the burnout and the professional well-being. It just won't be sustained. Um, so when it comes to work system factors, uh, they identify those, and this is where our polarity comes in, because it's job demands and job resources, right? Mm-hmm. And right now, they're limited in both, right? So what we would say is they're probably the downside of both. But some of the job demands 
Um, they, I'll just give a few here because there's quite a list, but um, some examples would be excessive workloads uh, due to inadequate staffing, right? Workflow interruptions and distractions for staff in the midst of their work. Um, inadequate technology, uh, usability, right? So oh. here we get to the EHR. <laughs> That's a big one. And then, you know, moral distress also is a, a job demand that is, and all of these things are leading right to this um, decline in well-being and resilience. And then from a job resource perspective, um, there are, you know, a number of things listed there too. And, and probably at the top of the list is meaning and purpose and work, um, organizational cultures, rewards, and relationships. So mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's quite a few things there to be addressed when it comes to the resources to help actually meet the demands and the interdependent relationship there. So, you know, and in the report, they do recognize there's a chronic imbalance between these two, right? Which is a polarity. It is. (laughs) Right. And that's all contributing to the burnout, which is right. The, the greater fear of what's going to happen. So we want to get into a more virtuous Right cycle yep. moving up towards our greater purpose of clinician well-being and professional well-being. Now we've done a few other podcasts on this, Michelle, and uh, so you know, in because this this shows up in a lot of different ways, and different people have been giving voice to it on our podcast. So if you want to go back and listen to a few other episodes where we uh, have conversation about this, one of those would be episode sixteen where we talk with um, Bern Melnick from mm-hmm. Ohio State University, and then we also did a great interview with Miguel Paniagua, and that's episode number twenty five where he shared his story around clinician burnout, and then um, also we actually had the privilege to have Charlie Alexander from the National Academy of Medicine talk to us about this report, and that was episode number thirty one. So those are some additional episodes if you're you know if you're so inclined uh, to learn a little bit more and to dig into this a little bit deeper we recommend you go listen to those as well absolutely so here's a subject that we have never talked about before not <laughs> <laughs> yeah right <laughs> We have talked about um, that, you know, there was an aim missing in the triple aim, and many people call it the quadruple aim. In fact, it's common language these days, what you say, Tracy. Oh, yeah. Right? Everybody but the IHI. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it really hasn't been formally adopted by the IHI yet, Um, but we know that that's exactly what happened. We over-focused on patient experience at the expense of clinician experiences. That's why we got here. Mm Mm-hmm. And we know, we don't know how long that's going to take, and it did take several years, but with that over-focus, that's exactly why we're in the downside of that now, right? Yeah, yeah, because, you know, you can't put a timeline on when the consequences are going to start to emerge and when you're going to actually see and realize them when you're dealing with the polarity. You know, there's not a time frame for that to happen. When you hit the downside, you don't know how long it's going to take for that slide to occur and yeah, yeah. to really be seeing those consequences. Yeah. There's another phenomenon that happens when we resist like what's being presented to us. And there seems to be a fear of, wow, if we bring this fourth aim in, we're going to lose the triple aim. So it's that just tells you there's another polarity because fear's showing up, right? There's some resistance to it. Yeah. So, yeah, that well, that's actually how polarities show up. Yeah. One of the ways, right? Yeah. And yeah. and we've actually heard the leadership from the IHI say it'll take the you know. There's a lot of other, I think, too, um, 
proposals for fourth aims. You know, you don't hear them talked about that much, but actually leadership has said, you know, make that context specific. Mm -hmm. So locally specific, but in this case with the clinician burnout to write the, the serious kind of epidemic proportions that we've got, you would think that would be a bit of a driver yeah, to make it be the fourth aim. Yeah. So that IHI was very close, um, but we didn't really extend out to that other half, including the clinician. So they had an accurate view, but not a complete view. Yeah. Well, they knew there were interdependencies, yeah. right? So it was kind of like the, and the interdependencies were represented, but there was one that was just missing. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. And so, you know, that polarity thinking, that that ability to recognize the, the significance of those interdependencies, that's what was missing. That mm-hmm. was the logic that mm-hmm. was missing mm-hmm. in the triple aim. And it and in that case, it took us eight years to really start to see the consequences of neglecting the clinician experience. Eight years it took. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of people and a lot of time, right? Um, and you know, and still they haven't been recognized as the downside of a polarity yet. So I think it's key that, you know, you have to be able to recognize these polarities and then identify what the potential implications are going to be. And when you don't have that logic mm-hmm. behind your thinking, you're just, you know, you're kind of, um, in the blind, mm-hmm. right? So to speak, you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's kind of what we're seeing here. And so, you know, I mean, you really have to think about how many clinicians are suffering or have suffered because that poll was neglected because people didn't have the appropriate lens, right? They didn't see the whole, they didn't have that whole view. They only had one perspective. So, I mean, this is how significant this is. This is why this is our soapbox. This is why we keep bringing it up and saying it over and over because we know how polarities work. All polarities work the same way and it's a hundred percent predictable. So here we are. Burnout is a problem, Michelle, right? And we know it definitely has to be addressed, but Within burnout is a multitude of polarities. And if we don't apply this lens to this report and to the actions that people are taking and to how they look at this within their organizations, there will be negative consequences. It will happen. It will not be sustainable. And we will be right back here maybe three years from now, Hmm. maybe five, maybe another eight. And what is going to have happened because of that lack of this polarity lens. Yeah, makes you wonder how we could change the future of future reports if we pay attention to this now. Like, maybe there won't be future reports. Yeah, right, right. Or they'll look a whole lot different. They'll they'll look a whole lot different. Exactly, exactly. So this is... This is why we want this movement to happen, folks, right? Yeah. Like, so it's just, it's so critical for all of us individually, collectively, and, you know, for the patients and families that are served mm-hmm. in these organizations. Mm-hmm. And the leaders. Mm-hmm. Yes. So speaking of leaders, Tracy, we know that all of these recommendations are going to fall right on the shoulders of leaders, Right. Oh, yeah, because who's going to make the changes? That's right. That's right. Who's going to implement the new system infrastructures and processes and cultures? Going to be the leaders. (laughs) Yeah, so we know that the report is about clinicians and um, that we got to look at it from a perspective of clinician burnout and leader burnout. 
And otherwise we're going to, you know, experience deja vu all over again down the road. Yeah. Because the burden's going to fall there. Yeah. And they've already got full plates, right? They've already got a lot of things going on that they're trying to manage as it is. So yeah. Yeah. We don't want to end up back here with leader burnout being an epidemic across the healthcare organization. So good point. You know, the other thing here is, so let's just, you know, the reality is we have to implement these system level changes, right? And we want them to be effective and sustainable. But if we only look at this as a problem to solve, then we'll get short-term gains. We'll miss the long-term sustainable outcomes. And, you know, we really need to have an engaged and committed leadership at all levels of the organization to address this burnout and uh, to improve professional well-being. I mean, that's really the challenge at hand here. Yeah, it's not one person either, right? No, no, it is it's, a team. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So we have to have a plan, mm-hmm. right? And we mm-hmm. need to think about what are those outcomes that we want. And we know that we can apply polarity thinking to um, well-being and resilience. So let's t- talk a about that for a little bit. Sure. So how does polarity thinking really support well-being? There's a lot of different ways. Number one, it decreases time spent and feelings of stress from trying to solve unsolvable problems. What a stress reliever. Oh, yeah. I don't have to focus on fixing something that's not solvable. Exactly. That really enhances my well-being. Um, And then another thing is simultaneous action support of sustainable positive outcomes. So we're not looking at it unipolar. We're looking at it through a and in both lens. And that helps my well-being because I can really focus on both. And that helps me with my decisions I make for myself as an individual. Um, It maintains progress towards the greater purpose, right? Sometimes we lose sight of why are we here? What's our mission when we're so burnt out and dragged down? So polarities really help us maintain that progress towards our purpose of why we're here. Well, you get that um, momentum in a positive mm-hmm. right way. So it, it's that spiraling upward versus spiraling down. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I think it also reduces tension and fears because you're looking at it again through a, you know, through both sides and um, it, it, it keeps you focused on the benefit of both. And again, that greater purpose uh, and it provides an environment of hope. Um, we're not, again, we're not singular focus and we're not starting to sink down, but we're really addressing things in a more holistic way. And that really provides an environment of hope. Well, and it's a way to engage as well, right? To engage multiple perspectives. So when you have that diversity of thought, mm-hmm. right? Those people that think differently see hope because... Mm-hmm everybody's right, right? Both perspectives are right. One's not right and one's not wrong. So it kind of makes you feel hopeful that somebody's hearing you, right? And mm-hmm. sees your yeah. perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And that really invites that inclusion engagement, which is yes. an upside as well. And, and I think it just really provides that common language too. You know, we can mm-hmm. support each other if we all know how this works. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So just the processes and using that lens, that's awesome. Now, the other thing is it does also support resilience, in individuals and organizations. And a couple of ways it does that is new skills enable individuals to differentiate between a problem and a polarity. So they're applying the appropriate logic, right? And they're not having to um, vi- revisit the same issues over and over because they leverage a polarity and they solve a problem, right? The other thing is leveraging that tension 
versus the tension working on you and creating stress. So sometimes when we feel tension, right, Mm -hmm. it increases and we feel stressed out about it. Mm -hmm. But when you recognize and know that there's tensions in polarities and you can lean into that tension and work with it versus feeling like it's working on you. Yeah, Yeah. tension can be healthy. Oh yeah, yeah, it is. And leveraging the tension creates this dynamic balance, right, between the opposing values. And you get, again, that virtuous cycle towards that greater purpose, which is a positive experience, right? So the tension becomes a positive thing, right? And you're leveraging it and moving uh, in a positive manner towards things, getting that momentum going. The other thing is vigilant monitoring for early warning signs keeps you from experiencing a vicious cycle and your deepest fears, right? So it expedites course correction as well. So that's a part of resilience, right? Is knowing when to shift and being willing to, you know, to make changes and correct your actions and move in a different direction when you need to. And polarities support that when you're leveraging those early warning signs. The other is the opportunity to engage others for support with action steps and early warning signs. So it takes a village, right? Yes. And, And you're not alone. And having support helps you feel resilient and builds up your capacity, I think, for resilience as well. And then the other thing is um, recognition that the tension can be that positive experience. Uh, We've kind of mentioned that before. And there's wisdom in tension and resistance. It's not always a negative thing. And even when you feel resistant yourself, right, Mm -hmm. to know where that's coming from and why that is. And I think polarities can kind of help you put a lens on that to understand how, you know, how previous experiences have influenced you. And it helps you just be more resilient, learn from what's happening around you and how you're responding to it. Right, right. It just keeps you moving, right, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. within that tension. So, yeah, so the good news is there's a lot of things we can do to act on this. Um, So we can leverage polarity thinking as an essential leadership competency to combat burnout within leaders. So, hey, it's a gift. Like, how can we really understand this more and use it as an essential competency? Um, and then recognizing that it is missing. It's uh, polarity thinking is the missing logic to achieve sustainable outcomes. We don't want to be here again five years from now, 10 years from now. So let's put a new lens on the whole complex situation, right? And um, to also leverage polarity thinking to support that well-being and resilience that we just spoke about. Yeah. So to kind of wrap things up, polarity thinking really creates that feeling of hope. And it replaces the negative tension or energy with a positive energy, right? Which is something that we want to be experiencing in our organizations. And the polarity thinking also enables you to tap the wisdom in that resistance. And that's really important. You know, there's a lot of a lot of changes will be happening with system changes, right? And being able to tap that wisdom when you when you experience resistance will be really uh, important. And again, reducing fear and anxiety. That's a significant thing right now in our healthcare environments. And with change comes fear and anxiety, right? And then we've already got that because of the environments that we're working in. So um, this really is a way to help with that. And it supports the focus of the greater and shared purpose. And I Mm want to emphasize shared purpose, right? It's going to bring everybody together Mm -hmm. uh, and working collectively, right, towards that greater purpose that we're Why we're here. Why we're here. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) 
thanks as always for listening to Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. We'd love to hear and answer your questions. If you have questions, you can email us at questions at missinglogic.com and we may include your question in a future episode. You can find show notes and links at our website, www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast. If you're the kind of leader who wants to help others, then share this podcast with your peers and other healthcare leaders. We're certain if you found value in it, they will too. Please share this on your social media channels and leave us a review in iTunes. If you don't know how to leave a review, you can find instructions on our website at www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast. Podcast.